0: No, I'm sitting here waiting. I'm oh, awake <laughs> Well, oh, good evening and welcome, my dear listeners, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now, speaking for those with no voice, speaking truth to power, sharing the news of the cognitive minority as we begin to manifest a new normal for the quality of life for the 99%. I wonder, can you see it changing? Can you feel it? Are there signs out there? Email me. Let me know what you're seeing. Are you helping making things change? You know, that's a perfect segue to thank Alea Deo for her musical opening, Time to Awaken, because our mutual awakening is going to be part of the solution to changing the world. Yes, it is time to awaken. Awaken yourself, awaken your friends, and using common ground and as much love and compassion as you can muster, we must awaken those who are our frenemies. Well, thank you for being with me tonight. Uh, I know you're very busy and you have lots of options for your time. So I appreciate it when you spend it uh, with us. Uh, Tonight's guest is Mary Electra. She is a sound or tonal alchemist. Have you heard of that before? Sounds very cool and provocative, doesn't it? Mary's going to explain what a sound alchemist is as we discuss the power of sound, what it has to do with the Egyptian goddess Hathor, how it can heal. And I'm going to ask her about some of uh, those YouTube clips uh, our Wisdom Circle has been discussing, specifically regarding converting our music to 432 hertz. Um, it's supposed to be more harmonious. Maybe she'll know something about that. <clears throat> I'm also intrigued by the mantras of monks and can we use um, sound for mind or mood control. So there's going to be lots we're going to chat about tonight. And in case you didn't notice, uh, Artemis and warrior women seem to be trending here on the show lately. Last week, we discussed the Artemis archetype with Jean Shinoda Bolin, the indomitable woman whose qualities we need to stay the course, uh, to change the world next Tuesday we'll be talking about Artemis again but with Dr. James Reedfeld discussing the Artemis cult of ancient times so we switch over from archetype to deity and her cult in ancient times Dr. Reedfeld is probably the foremost authority on Artemis of the Ephesians so you won't want to miss that talk and then coming up in the weeks ahead Adrian Mayer who just wrote a new book on the Amazons and legendary warrior women will be with me as will Dr. Jean. Davis Kimball also discussing warrior women of history. Yes, warrior women are trending out there, like uh, Katniss from the Hunger Games, those earlier episodes of Xena. Remember those? You were probably a fan. I know I was. Uh, Think about the movies Brave and Frozen. And you know what? Even on TV, um, have you been watching Secretary of State with Taylor Leone and The Good Wife? I have. Um, I think we're definitely getting the message, the roles of women are changing. And I'm reminded of the commercials also during the Super Bowl, asking how do girls run, talking about empowering young girls and how important it is, um, how we we speak and the ideas we put out there. Yes, the times, they are a-changing, but You know, you probably think like I do. It doesn't seem like it's quickly enough. And if you stay with me uh, after my interview with Mary, uh, I have some interesting feedback from listeners to share, especially an out-of-the-norm email. So do stay tuned for the entire show. I'm going to dangle that little carrot. Uh, I'm also going to be talking to you about uh, ISIS, uh, because, you know, this weekend coming up would have been the big, huge festival of Isis called the Isidae Navigium or Ploephysia uh, in ancient times. So I think you want to hear about that because uh, it, it has also transformed into modern-day rituals as well. So that is still a living tradition going on. And, um, you know, it would be this weekend. So you need to be thinking about Isis. Uh, so I want to make sure you know about all that. Um, uh, Let's see, I think that's probably uh, all of the housekeeping out of the way for now. Um, It's time to chat with tonight's guest, uh, Mary Electra. Uh, Let me, uh, let's see, I think I have her bio here. Uh, Let me uh, read that. If I do, I'm pretty sure she sent it to me. Yes, here we go. And then we'll start our chat. So, Um, Let's get to know Mary uh, by way of her bio. She is an internationally known spiritual teacher, a tonal alchemist, Uh, A master of enhancing the intention of the healing process individually and globally. She works on many dimensional levels using techniques such as toning, breathwork, bodywork, tarot, spiritual counseling. Ancient sound and healing vibrations manifest through her, and she's inspired by the spiritual vibrations of many masters, such as Mary Magdalene, the Christ Consciousness, Sai Baba, Baba G. Uh, Mother Mary, as well as many other interdimensional beings. Through the sound and interdimensional frequencies unique to Mary, you'll be guided to connect with your own inner wholeness through the portals of your higher dimensional self, thus assisting you to find a true sense of homecoming while opening your own personal omni-reality. So we're going to be chatting about all of that. Uh, Mary, welcome to the show. Mary, are you there? Oh wait a minute, I didn't unmute her. I am so sorry. Oh no she you know what? She her call dropped. Um yes, Hi, I'm you're here uh listening to the show, correct? Yes, I'm hearing you. Okay, thank you Can so you much. Um Yes, um this isn't Mary though, is it? Yes it is. Oh, Mary. Okay, hi. Um, you're back because my switchboard yes. showed that your call had dropped. So I uh, wanted to. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so you're back with us. A...
1: Yes, I okay.
0: am. Okay. Okay. All right. And I, you know, maybe Hello. we're in Mercury retrograde, Mary. I don't know, are we? <laughs>
1: Well, we were. I don't know if it's still going or not. We, we went into the grade a couple of weeks ago, so I, I'm not sure. I haven't checked up on that, but anyhow. okay. Well, well,
0: we're we're together now. We got it together. Um, so, so Mary, let's start with this. Tell us what a tonal alchemist is. Um, that's a new term to me, so I want to know about it.
1: <laughs> well, it's a it's a term I coined actually. Um, Alchemy is all about you know changing uh, one element into another, and sound changes things. Ch- you know, like uh, so when I work on people, I'm really uh, changing their energy field in some way. So that's why I call myself a total alchemist.
0: I My see. My sound is
1: very unique and um, and fr- it's other dimensional actually. So uh, and very powerful.
0: Well, you know, um, I, I I have heard of uh, healers here in Los Angeles who have CDs out, uh, or or maybe DVDs, I don't know, that they use right. certain tones to heal certain ailments, certain parts of the body. Um, yes. And you know, I know we're all energy beings, so you know, I guess on yes. a science, you know, it, so it sort of makes sense, but. Do you think it's asking people to take a lot on faith? I mean, it, and maybe in a way it's even like Reiki. Do we know it really works? Well, um, I think everything you take on
1: faith. Do we know anything really works? You know, re- I mean, if you really kind of reduce everything down. However, Tesla, und- Tesla understood that everything, every cell in your body has a resonant frequency. Okay. So if that resonant frequency is out of balance or not in harmony and it's like if you're in a symphony, say for instance you're listening to a symphony and one of the instruments is off key, everything the whole song becomes tainted because of that. So True. If, if you have an organ or something that's out of frequency, out of its harmonic frequency, then it'll affect the body. So Sound healing is basically bringing that balance or that harmony back to that uh, to that cell or tissue or organ or whatever it is that's diseased. And right. Another way it can be used is, for instance, if you have a tumor, so if you don't want to ma- you don't want to bring the tumor into harmony, so what you want to really do is break it up. Correct. Right. So what you do is you a frequency in that is of a higher vibration and it will break it apart Hmm. so sound can, can you can create with sound you can heal with sound and you can destroy with sound
0: Interesting. Well, and, and you know, and let me say I'm, you know, my mind is connecting the dots here. You know, I asked somebody once, um, you know, about aromatherapy, for instance. You know, I, I'm a uh-huh. Virgo. Okay, let me tell you that ahead of time. I, you know, I, I tend to be a skeptic before I'm a believer. So I was talking to somebody about scents and aromatherapy and, you know, does it really work? And she said to me, okay, well, Karen, think about this when you pass a garbage can and it really stinks doesn't that affect you so you know if you think about that in reverse um, so if we, if we sort of use that as, um, <clears throat> as as an example, I think about when I was in school and the chalk on the on the the board in front of the room. If you didn't know how to write with the chalk and it did that screech, or your fingernails on the right. chalkboard, that would that would right. like oh you know, or a rake. I remember a rake, you know, a metal rake on concrete. Oh, that just like yeah. you know, cut right through me. Right. Yeah. I mean but,
1: if you if you just go back in your memory and think of different sounds, you will they create an effect. Like laughter creates a true. different effect in your body than a sound of a siren or a baby crying.
0: Right, right. Well, and I'm thinking, too, you know, it wasn't that long ago in in the news, uh, we were hearing about the torture that our country did to people they were holding, you know, uh, that they thought they were terrorists, and part of the torture they did was they used sound. They they used frequency.
1: Yeah, you know, actually, there's a lot of uh, stuff that we don't understand, like That's exactly what HARP is about is sending those frequencies out that are affecting the dolphins because dolphins respond to sound and, you know, and frequency. And so they take that, the waves, the sound waves that they're experimenting with is screwing up the dolphin's abilities to know where they are because they, they are guided by sonar because they hear. And so it has a huge effect. So, it, sound can be very destructive as, very, as well as very powerful and healing, so it's not something to really play with so very much. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, you don't want to mess around with it. But you know, basically, Einstein proved that we are energy, and energy is really about vibration, and sound is really about vibration, and so if you reduce everything down, everything is vibration. And so when you're looking at a plant, it's a vibration. When you're looking at, uh, like lavender, it has a vibration. Certain plants have a higher frequency and other plants have a lower frequency. And people are the same way. We have, um, you were talking about awakening, you know. Well, some people are already in the awakening stage and their frequencies are higher than those that are still asleep.
0: Don't you wish, or maybe there is, maybe you'll tell me, gee, Karen, there is, don't you wish there was a kind of meter <laughs> that we could have uh, to know where we're vibrating or know what uh, <laughs> what level things are vibrating at?
1: On some level, if you take the responsibility of being uh, the goddess that you are and understand that you are the spark of the divine. Uh, that knowing, I believe, lives within you. I don't. I, I don't know that. I think that you have your own internal meters, and I think everyone does. Or I feel, actually, everyone does. And it's about tapping into our knowing and remembering who we are. Uh, and well, at those, when we do that, then we can, then we we can understand what level of vibration we're at.
0: Well, you know, I may be revealing my own inadequacies here, and I, that's okay. I know I am not perfect um, we had a we had a teacher in our community once who claimed that he could sense the different vibrations of the different deities. Um, and I have to tell you, I kind of had my doubts about that. I mean, I know we we probably all can sense when we're in that liminal state, but You know, I don't know, I just, the skeptic in me came out and I went, okay, so you mean you can tell me this vibration is Anubis and this vibration is Sekhmet and this vibration is Bridget and this, you know, I don't know, I just didn't quite buy it. You know, it's getting too specific, I think, you know. Well,
1: I would probably question that myself because, you know, uh, I, I probably would question that myself. But people, I happen to be very kinesthetic. And I'm um, clara sentient, So I sense things. Like, I work on people's bodies and touch them. My hands will immediately go to the area of distress that needs help. It just knows it. It senses it, you know? It just tunes in and knows where to go. And people are continuously amazed at the ability that I that my hands have yeah. to move to those areas. And in in in, one of the things I've picked up in my world is when I travel, I will notice when the energy shifts from one thing to another, and it's quite interesting. Um, because I'll, I'll sense when we're moving closer to a place that well, that has a higher frequency, like when you' go when you're traveling you're planning a trip to Turkey and you're planning mm-hmm. a trip to see the sacred sites right mm-hmm. well when yep. you go to an area where there are sacred sites, do you feel a difference in the energy yeah i, yes, I have yes. to feel that I feel the difference in the energy in the frequency and i and they in in these sacred sites they they in to me they're like a vortex of energy and in, and wherever there's a vortex the frequencies are higher. This is my own opinion. This is the world according to Mary. Okay. So in these sacred sites uh, is embedded a great deal of wisdom. It's an energetic wisdom, but when you go there and you receive that, you are affected by it, or I am, Mm -hmm. and many Mm -hmm. people I believe are, which is why we seek them out and we go. Right. And I think, well, I'm very envious because Turkey is on my bucket list of to do because I think they're discovering some amazing things there that are going to open some uh, bottlenecks of wisdom that yeah. have been bold for a long time.
0: And so I'm very, I'm very envious that you're going to get to do this if, and when you do it. Well, I hope we do. You know, we're hoping we get enough people to make it happen. We're asking people to hurry up and make up their mind. Uh, but but yeah. you're right. I mean, I've been to Turkey three times before, and I've been to other places, too. I used to be lucky enough to be a part-time travel agent, so travel used to be cheap. You know, there were days I could go to Paris right. for a $300 round trip, you know. So I took advantage of that, you know, years ago. And it was interesting, and I wonder if you have a thought about this. You know, we would go places in Egypt that you would think would be just intense with energy. And to me, they felt flat. And I couldn't help but wonder if places that haven't been overrun with tourists yet maybe still have a different kind of, or maybe it's just a frequency that I can more easily tune into, but I found like when we were in Turkey or we visited places in Egypt that hadn't been overrun with tourists, you know, thousands of tourists every day, I I seemed to sense the energy easier, and it felt like it was there as opposed to it being empty. Can you think of any explanation for that, other than maybe my own sensor might have been off? Well, I don't know
1: that your sensor was off, but I do know that once you start commingling energies, it's difficult sometimes to separate them. And sometimes we need to tune into our very astute awareness to really pick up on the finite energy of where we're at instead of all the other uh, peripheral energy that's commingling there. Um, when I was in Egypt, I was in the king's chamber and was a, and I sat in the sarcophagus and I have to tell you it was a very very powerful experience for me and um and many people on our trip after after going into the king's chamber got sick and I didn't get sick and everybody believed it was the food and the water that we were being served And I was drinking the same food and the same water. However, what my thoughts were is that the frequencies were so high uh, that some people just couldn't deal with what the frequencies were. Right. um, So maybe you have a very astute uh, sense of, of feeling that you haven't really acknowledged or owned yet.
0: Maybe. Maybe you're just
1: very... Maybe you're very kinesthetic.
0: Either that, or I'm very thick.
1: <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you seem to be like a pretty happening person to me. I know I don't really know you that well, but but anyway. Well, um,
0: well, and, and you know, and I think too about um, you know. I've taken classes where you're balancing your chakras, and um, I found that for me, if you did chakra balancing with sound, um, that was much more profound for me than just doing it, you know, visually in your mind, you know, uh, kind of a thing. Um, have you ever have you ever done that, uh, sh- you know, chakra balancing with the sound?
1: Yes, yes. I, I do want to tell you that some people aside certain notes to certain chakras, and I'm not wired like that. Uh, I I send frequencies through my voice to beings, and those frequencies do the work that they need to do. However, you cannot hear the frequencies that you're receiving. You can hear my voice and you can hear my sound, but the frequencies that are um, coming through me are not at a level that you can hear. So it's almost like a dog whistle, you mean? Yeah, it's like that. You can't hear that, but the dogs can. And my frequency might even be higher than what dogs can hear.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, the other thing I'm curious about is, you know, going back to the idea of healing, unless it's just totally intuitive and we have to trust it, and, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not willing to do that. I'm just trying to understand it, too. Like, how do we know what tones and, and what sounds you know we can say you know uh, you know heal your liver for instance you know i mean we know what makes us feel harmonious versus what makes us feel chaotic but how do we know which sounds to tap into for certain ailments well there there's
1: been a lot of study on that there's a woman called her, her name is carol edwards and she um determined certain sounds and tones that were missing that you needed to replace to heal certain things. I'm not that kind of a sound healer. I'm not. I'm not learned. I'm not uh, educated in 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 the ways that um, a lot of people feel are it's important to have that kind of education. I I studied. Maybe it's good to know a little bit of my background. I I was doing chair massage and met Tom Kenyon, who is a very renowned sound dealer. And I was guided to go to his workshops. And when I went to his first workshop, I was actually given a message that he had a message from me, which I was too dense, to understand, at the time, but hindsight is always better than anything. So uh, I started actually doing chair massage at Tom's workshops for about a year and a half being exposed to his sound and also doing the healing work that I was doing and I happened to be in Hawaii with him and I and see you now this is where you kind of have to let go of any of your preconceived notions and kind of be open to things because I was in a hot tub in Hawaii and beings in the sky appeared to me appeared and started doing work with me and they did it for four nights, and I was aware that it was important work, and I was also aware that they were doing something that was was going they were healing me, and they were also working with me for whatever my next step on the planet was and so I had not done sound healing before that time i i I was told that i had uh i couldn't carry a key I couldn't uh carry a tone I was off key. So I I really didn't do any work with sound. So I I didn't have, I mean, I love music and I love sound and I, I understood its importance as a universal communication, but I couldn't have done anything. And then all of a sudden I started, somebody gave me a crystal bowl as a gift and I started toning with it and people started hearing my voice and they started recognizing that my voice had a certain tenor that didn't seem like it was from this world. And um, so I just kept doing the sound. So I I wouldn't know how to do what Carol Edwards does. However, it's very much like my hands being on a person's body. I know exactly where to go. Mm -hmm. But the thing I have to do when I do my work is I need my ego to get out of the way. And I need to just tune into my higher knowing because my higher self, it's connected to all those frequencies since I, in my opinion or in my understanding, I'm an aspect of the god-goddess. So because of that, every frequency that exists, every vibration that exists is a part of me and I have access to it. So when I can turn over and work through my higher self, I can access all of that wisdom and that knowing and that knowledge and that vibration and bring that through me either through my hands or
0: through my voice. Interesting. So, so when you work so with somebody work. you're you're so are you doing <clears throat> are you doing something like Reiki or Theta healing while you're also using sound?
1: Uh we have, I work with people doing body work. I, I work with body breath and sound, because breath is vitally important. And I am a certified breath worker, and so I work with breath, and I work with the body. See, it, it's interesting to understand that in your bo- your bones hold your knowing, and your muscles hold your memory. So if you can uh, get your muscles to be connected to your bones in a in a unrestricted way. Because your your muscles do attach to your bones, you know when when you look at the body, the attachments are on the bones, or ligaments and the ligaments are attached to the bones. So that's that's how the body works. And so those muscles hold all the, the negative energy, and the bones hold the knowing. And so if we can get our the the negative energy out of those memories that are no longer serving us. If we can release those, then we can become more pure in our knowing, and so that's part of the work that I do with my body work. And what I do is when I I incorporate sound at the end, and I generally tone into someone's crown. And oftentimes now, the sound has become so prevalent in my work, I sometimes just lead people through a meditation, uh, and work with intention and work with the sounds and the frequencies to support them in their healing process. Because to be honest with you, Karen, I really don't know what what's in the best interest for you, in your highest and best interest. I truly understand that I can support your highest and best interest. And I truly understand that I can facilitate you in whatever process that you're in. But I, I certainly don't know what that process is because sometimes the process is dying, and sometimes it's getting well and healing. So I, I don't know what is your highest, what's in your highest and best interest in a, mentally, or or you know intellectually. Right. But spiritually, I understand. And I am working for your highest and best interest. And to be honest, miracles have happened. I mean, uh, you know, people have received the healing work that I have. And I don't know if you looked at some of the testimonies, but in 2002 I worked on a woman at a conference in Sedona, and we spent 20 minutes together. And I didn't know her, and we didn't have contact. But in 2009 somehow she came to another conference, I was working at her and her sisters, and I just happened to run into one of them at a breakfast, at breakfast before the conference started, and the sister, her sister started saying, oh, are you here at the conference, you know, and I said, yes, and she says, oh, my sisters and I drove all the way from Oklahoma, and I said, oh, then you need to come see me, I'm doing chair in the... In the back of the room During the lecture So come and visit And she said Is your name Mary? And I said Yeah (laughs) My name is Mary And she said Oh my God My sister's not going to believe this All she does is talk about you And I said Oh uh, uh, You know I I, I didn't know what she was talking about And she said You don't know And I said Well I I don't (laughs) I really don't know what you're talking about She said Oh, when my sister came to Sedona, when you worked on her, she had just been diagnosed with um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she had a tumor the size of a fist on her sternum. And she decided not to do anything until she got back from Sedona and she was going to take a trip to the conference. And she saw me and was guided to come to me, and I did a 20-minute session with her, and I told I had the opportunity to tone on her body. Now, I had no idea what I was doing there, and none. But she felt this difference, and her sister happens to be a, um, uh, one of those machines that you uh, go into, and uh, my mind has just left me. Um, You mean those
0: deprivation machines? No, no, no. It's when they scan
1: the body with sound. Oh, an MRI? The MRI. She was an MRI technician. Thank you. I was just losing that. that. She was an MRI technician, and so she went back and asked her sister to do an MRI on her before she went back to the doctor. And the tumor was the size of a quarter. Wow. And she knew we had done together Had supported her in her feelings And she's still living today A very healthy and whole And I actually saw her last year At the Contact in the Desert conference With her sisters again And um, so I don't really always know What I'm being guided to do I just turn it over So I really do work a lot on faith And trust and surrender
2: yeah uh, no yeah.
1: that you know uh, i am i'm an aspect of
0: a higher consciousness and well I you know it. Well, you know, I had a theta healing once. I had a shoulder injury that had been bothering me for months, and I knew if I went to the orthopedist, the next step was going to be surgery, and I just didn't want to do that, you know. And I went and had a theta healing, and I believed, um, you know, I believe these things are possible. I mean, I really do. I think these are these are like the the unknown mysteries that we just. We can't explain, but I think they, you know, I I think they're relevant. Uh, We've just maybe lost our ability to have them in the mainstream world anymore, you know, because of Western medicine and everything. And, you know, and and I guess you probably suspect what I'm going to say, but, you know, within 24 hours, it, you know, my shoulder was okay, you know. Now, my husband went to the very same guy for, a knee issue, and it worked for a little while, but then it sort of wore off, you know. So you know, it's like right. I guess the consistency of these things—it's—it's um, it, it's, maybe it's harder than you take a pill and you know exactly what's going to happen, you know? Um, you know. You
1: know, it's, I'm gonna—I need to step in and disagree here. Because okay. Because
0: every
1: person, every person has an intention of what they ultimately desire. You know we can say, "I want to heal," but our spirit isn't really our full intention isn't behind that so your full intention was in healing your husband might not have had the belief he might have he not might not he might have been so connected to other uh healing processes that he did this and did not fully engage his belief or his intent in the process right and it, you know the- who's doing it like I mean, all healers, whether they be Western medicine doctors, whether they be, you know, um, alternative people, all people who, who facilitate the healing process are doing just that. They're facilitating the healing process because the person who's receiving that facilitation is the healer. And so you could take a pill and not get well, and another person could take that pill, and it would work perfectly. I so see. It, well, it, in, in, it's really more about the intention of the person receiving the healing. Uh, and I I tell people that when they say, "Can you heal me?" I go, "Well, I can facilitate whatever your process is, but I I can only do what your process. You know, I can't go beyond that because it's you and God that are and God, Goddess that are creating that, not.
0: Not me. <laughs> well, and you know, you know, I'm thinking, Mary, maybe this is what you mean too. Um, you know, I know people who thrive on their illness. You know, and they say they yeah. want to get well, but they get too much attention. You know, or yeah. you know what I mean. And maybe yeah. you wonder, do they really do want? Do they really want to get well, or do or or have they? Uh, you know, do they get? Uh, you know, somehow the, the illness benefits them. You know, so maybe they don't yeah. really want to get rid of it.
1: And it's absolutely, you know, I'm overweight, and I've been overweight. I I got a brown spider bite, put on a lot of weight, and I've never been able to release the weight. And I I say I would like to release this weight. I I say it all the time. And I really believe that I do, but I don't. And there's a reason for that. And, you know, I suspect that uh, the underlying reason is that I just don't feel safe yet to release the fat. I just don't feel safe. And I need to find a way to feel safe. And what you know, it's not that people who work with me or send me love and energy. It's not that that love and energy is is falling. You know, is is not wonderful and pure and and perfect. It's that I have to be ready and willing to uh, let it happen.
0: I And see. that's what
1: every person, every person has to be ready and willing to let the healing process take place.
0: And, and be know, honest with not, yourself if for some reason you're holding on to the illness.
1: Yeah, well, it's 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 kind of, it's easier said than done to be honest with ourselves. Uh, it's, you know, it, that's how we come to a higher vibration, in my opinion, is the more honest that we can become with ourselves. Like, um, you know, it's not easy for me to tell you that I'm, Afraid to lose weight, but I'm telling the whole world that's listening right now that I have that fear and I'm holding myself back. That's not easy to be honest like that. <laughs> like, I know, I
0: know. know thank and, you,
1: and thank to, you. And then, and then, to, but I'm just saying, it's difficult. So, just imagine what it is like. And I, I, I've done a lot of work with myself, and I, you know, I feel. I mean, I've really done a lot of work. With myself, so I can feel I can feel okay telling everybody because if it can help somebody, I'd rather it help somebody than not, but right. not everybody has worked through those levels of you know their levels of energy
0: and and reached that place where they feel safe enough to do that. Well, you know, and, and thank you for that, because, you know, it, it, I think it is very valuable, that kind of honesty, you know, because, um, and, and, you know, and the fact that, you know, you, you care more about, you know, helping other people, that's that's very generous of you, Mary, and and, and I do want to get to the, the Hathor stuff and, and the, the, the Mayan oh. uh, goddess chant, but let me just ask you one more thing about sound, and then we'll get on to the good, you know, the, the rest of the good juicy stuff. Um, you know, you I started thinking during this conversation um that uh you know, like the the mantras, um the you know, we hear Gregorian chants of the monks. Yeah. Um we know some sound is transdusing. Um you know, if we watch TV a lot and the news is always on, I wonder if it's you know, if it's the tone as much as it's the words. And, you know, do you, I, I don't know, I guess I wonder what you think about all of that. You know, do you think the the mantras and the Gregorian chants are designed to do something specific? You know, uh, is that why we respond to them as opposed to, you know, maybe why we don't feel so good when we're, you know, we have the TV ratcheted up and the news is blaring and I, I don't know, any thoughts about that?
1: I have I do have, I always have thoughts, Karen. <laughs> 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 I have thoughts about everything. Um, you know, the ancient ones understood the power of sound. They understood the power of vibration and they understood uh how it could uh take you to different states of consciousness. They understood that. Uh the, the people who are in the know uh who Kind of like rule the world, you say. You might say they know how they are um, affecting people with the news, shows, movies, all sorts of things. There's a lot of control and there's a lot of mind control in all of that, and and so they're using sound and um, all that to to numb us. To what we really are I mean you get so lost in television And you start believing everything that they say And you don't start tuning into yourself It's a great way For us to avoid Remembering who we are Because we're You know being um, Kind of manipulated Into Forgetting who we are
0: So that's my thoughts i Okay, no, agreed. I, I I think you're right. You know, I mean I think we are being numbed. And and that that brings me to that four hundred and thirty two hertz thing. Have you heard that? You know, it's sort of circulating oh, yes. around the internet.
1: Yes, it's it's actually been around for quite some time. I think Len Horowitz wrote a book about it and uh there's a gentleman who I'd love to mention and people can look him up. His name is Randy Masters. He's uh, he's an amazing. Um, he's an amazing being. He really is a master. And I don't know if it's five. If I, is it four twenty-eight hertz or four thirty-two hertz?
0: I was. I think four thirty-two is is what they say we we ought to have everything uh, vibrating at four thirty-two.
1: Yeah, and, and that was changed back. Well, you know, they used sound to, you know sounds to kind of manipulate us. And back when Bach and... Th- th- these are kind of my... I don't want you... These are my own thoughts. So I just really want to put that out there that I, I wouldn't ask anybody to take my word for anything. Everybody needs to do their own research. But when, when Mozart and Bach was... was um, when they were writing their wonderful pieces, they, their music was tuned to a different hurt. Than our, than our instruments are tuned to today And the way they're tuned today uh, they Mozart Bach and all those They kind of enrich you and enliven you And they spark you Do you know what I mean? They mm-hmm. they have a different effect on you Than the music that we listen to today The music that we listen to today Is much more mind controlling and numbing So the change in the hertz Probably has something to do with that but I would suggest that people look up, read about it, and and create their own point of view about that, because that's my point of view. And a person that I would love for them to kind of explore is Randy Masters, and they can uh, Google him. I, I don't know his website right off the top of my head, but Randy Masters, and he uh, knows a lot about sound, the the and sacred geometry, which is when you're starting to play with the Hertzs it starts getting into sacred geometry, and he's a masterful at that. Interesting. And I understand it. I understand it intuitively, but I could never, um, in any stretch of the imagination, in this lifetime,
0: uh, intellectually talk to you about it. Right. Right. Well, and also, it may, and I'm starting to think about the movie Close Encounters. Remember they were communicating through sound uh-huh. to the yeah. to the aliens. you know I mean, I find this all so intriguing. I wish I really understood it better and knew more about it <clears throat> because you know, like when my friend said uh about the four thirty two hertz and i and she was saying, yeah. "Listen to this compared to it might have been four twenty eight you know I honestly couldn't really tell a difference. Um, so, you know, I I I go back to okay, I'm just thick. <laughs> um no, it, but
1: it, it is very subtle. It is very subtle, but it's it it is very subtle. So I don't know that you're thick, you're just you're also used to you know used to one sound over the other. So it's so it's so minuscule indifference that it would be hard to pinpoint the difference unless you were really musically trained.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I do know. I mean, I don't know if this is the same thing, but I do know like when I listen to the Beatles, I sure sound I sure feel a lot better than if I listen to jazz or rap music or something else, you know. Um okay. Well, yeah. for whatever, whatever that's worth. But so so to talk about uh, the goddess Hathor, what does she have to do with all of this? Oh, well, she
1: Embodies sound and joy and sensuality, and um, she she's the mother of Isis, and she's a very um, there wasn't much said about Hathor, the goddess Hathor, for many years, and now. She's being discovered. I mean, in Egypt, you know, they they uh, desecrated most of the statues that were the Hathor statues uh, there. And I got to see the Hathor statues. We we went went to see them when we were there. It was it was amazing. And they we had to bribe people to see them because it's not legal to go there. You know, you can't take people there. But we we did. Uh, what you do in Egypt? We
0: offered enough baksheesh to get in without being arrested, and we got to visit.
1: Uh, so where did you where spot. did you
0: get in, Mary? Are you talking about going to Dendera or some or someplace you know, Abidos or something? It, it, or you no, know, it was
1: I know it was near Memphis and uh, Saqqara, and you know I I didn't record much of anything. I just. I just remember being in the, that field of energy and how okay. powerful it was. So, but I know it was near Memphis, so I don't know exactly what side okay. it was. And and you would probably know better than me because you're a travel agent, and those things make a difference to you. See, the name of a place isn't so important to me as like the experience of the place. and
0: the, No, I get that. that
1: I, so, um, but... But if you see those in pictures and stuff, they they were, they were mutilated and dist- they tried to destroy them or deface yeah. them and stuff. Yeah,
0: a lot of the faces were defaced and things.
1: Yeah, she was the goddess of um, but she's the goddess of sound and music, basically, we and and joy because music is associated with joy and sensuality, and when Tom Kenyon. Tom Kenyon started channeling these beings from where he he says they're beings from the fourth dimension of Venus, and they're called Hathors. And they had uh, the properties, They embodied the our the goddess Hathor embodied the the the, the uh, properties of these beings from the fourth dimension of of. Um, the fourth dimension of Venus. And in the, in the ancient, ancient times, the goddesses like Isis and, uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, they were trained in something called sacred sound. And, uh, they were able through vibration to vibrate the, um, like the sexual organs, the second, the first and second chakra, vibrate the energy there in connection with the heart to create birth. Wow! And so, so a lot of the mythologies about, about like these, Osiris uh, was, was born without sex, Jesus was born without sex and stuff, was that ability of the ancient the, the goddesses—that that was their training—and it wasn't just a, uh, a feminine ability. It was a—it ma- was males and females, as long as they could raise their vibration, they could create through sound and running energy from the second chakra to the to the heart. And I don't know as much as I would like to know about it because those—that information is held very secret. It's very you know. You almost have to be channeled the information to understand it because it's
0: been buried. Right, right. And and you know, it, and you wonder, you know, when you read stuff that people write, you wonder if they're accurate. You know, if um, you know if if they know what uh, if if they know what they're talking about too. You know, it's hard to separate the the real master from I don't know maybe somebody who's deluded themselves. You know. Well.
1: As much as I know about sound and my understanding of sound, I believe this to be true. I believe that the uh, that that the goddesses in the ancient time that's why they were so that they were so revered is because and that's why all the initiations. I mean, Mary Magdalene was said to be whore, not because she was poor but because she knew how. To initiate through the kundalini mm-hmm. and raise your energy through the kundalini and breath, right and sound, and so um, there there's elements of of truth to all these mythologies, yeah. And so, it, it, but I mean, it's not something that I, I I really want to debate or anything. It's just that sound is very 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 powerful and it's very ancient and it. Um, there is a mythology that this whole world was created with a bang, which would be yeah. a sound. And then well, they and also it, have theory of the string theory, which is really about vibration. Again, it's about the vibration of these strings that are creating the forms of of energy in this field of
0: energy that we're in. Interesting. So, and it makes me wonder too. You're mentioning Hathor. You know, Hathor's sacred instrument was the sistrum. Uh, Isis two and Baas, the three, those three goddesses, the Sistrum was sacred to them, the sacred rattle. And it was said that when they shook that rattle, they kept the energies of the universe flowing. And I wonder if that was more than a metaphor, you know? If, if there was...
1: I, I actually believe it was truth. I believe it's truth. <laughs> I do. I do.
0: Well, and, you know, you're reminding me of a guest I had on, and maybe you know something of her work, uh, Marguerite Rigoliozzo. I It's been a while since she's been on, but she talked about, you know, the priestesses of ancient times and the goddesses. Use You know, it sort of got into Parthenogenesis, in where, you know, uh, select women or priestesses or the goddess, they were trained to be able to become pregnant using light, you know, and I can see where it, c- it could have been light and sound. You know, um, you know, it just makes me wish we had a sound, uh, um, a time machine, to be able to go back to learn these ancient, uh, these ancient laws, these ancient abilities. Right. Um, you know, I feel like we're just so, uh, so inept. I think compared to right. you know maybe the ancients. Yes.
1: Well. I know that that light and sound are both vibrations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I people who uh, who have the ability of clairvoyance uh, often tell me when they watch me tone that when I'm toning that the frequencies are going in the person in in colors hmm. and colors they haven't really ever seen here before but uh, they have a different uh, shimmer and shine and translucence to them, and yet a brightness. Um, And they all describe it very much the same, actually. So um, I I don't watch myself, so I don't really know. And, in fact, I can't give myself a sound feeling. But, you know, I'm hoping, Karen, that I have an opportunity tonight to do a little sound healing with your audience.
0: Yeah, let's I do that now. To... I think that would that would be a good way to wrap things up.
1: Okay, perfect. Uh, is our time up already?
0: Um, well, it, believe it or not, it's almost 7, so we've been chatting almost an oh, hour already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See how, you know, it, it's, whenever you start it so organic, it just flows. So I would love to do this, and so if you could just, If everyone in your audience, unless they're driving, of course, if everyone in your audience could close their eyes and take a very deep, deep breath and breathe the life force energy into your lungs and then exhale your breath. And as you exhale, know that that exhale is releasing all the negativity, all the stress, all the tension on your days, your weeks, your months. And it's releasing everything that no longer serves you. So continue to breathe very deeply and exhale. And with each breath, your body becomes more and more relaxed. And as it becomes more and more relaxed it becomes more open and receptive to the healing. Now I'd like every person in the audience to imagine an intention that they would like to manifest through this sound. The intention that I would like to send out is I would like to neutralize the discord that is on earth at this time I'd like to neutralize that For the highest good of all And I'd like to send a healing out To every being open And, and open and willing to receive The healing through this sound. So breathe With the knowing and the trust That only your highest and best interest Will be served And breathe into this Just keep breathing. Whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes and bring yourself back.
0: And thank you. <sighs> I was doing that with you. Um, it was really nice. I feel lighter. Um, mm-hmm. I I wanted to just drift away, <laughs> but I I yeah. knew I had to pull myself back for the rest of the show. Wow. Well, you know my. My Vs actually
1: take people to Theta State in a very quick, in about 30 seconds, some of the pieces, some of the uh, tracks will take you to a Theta State in about 30 seconds or less. So if people want to contact me, I, I would love to give them, my email address is maryelectra at com, and I do have a website, um, it's maryelectra.com, and Uh, And uh, I have CDs online Mm -hmm. at CD Baby. There's a
0: CD called Breathe Peace. And so if people are interested in that, I can send them the link. Say again what it was called, Mary, Breathe Deep. Is that what you said?
1: My CD is called Breathe Peace, and it's on CD Baby, and there's a link for it. And I uh, don't have the link in front of me. But if people email me at Mary Electra uh, at at Mary Electra at, at, at Yahoo dot com, that's my email address, Mary Electra at Yahoo dot com. I will send them a the link for the CD. Or if anybody's interested in the, because I do remote sound healings over the phone and. Um. I mean, you just receive that, and you got it. You know, it's like it, you don't you don't have to be in my in my presence to receive
0: the magic of the sound that's coming through in the frequencies.
1: Absolutely. So.
0: Well, I hope um I hope you can make it to uh the conference and the goddess conference in Simi Valley in October, but you're in Palm Springs, so I would imagine you do see people um personally if anybody's uh in within driving distance of Palm Springs. I do. I do.
1: I uh I do I do readings. I do read tarot readings and I close them with sound to do a healing on whatever's going on in somebody's life. I do massage and, and body work and I uh use sound and utilize sound in that. And then I do just sound healing for people, um who and you know, we go into a meditation and we work through meditation and intention uh with the sound and it's it's all real wonderful. And I do it in person, I do it on the phone and uh and every day I send healing out into the world with the sound.
0: Lovely. Well, Mary, make sure you email me after the show tonight uh, because I want to tell you about a group of women in Palm Springs you might not know about yet, and it might be beneficial for everybody to connect. And um, and well, I look forward to meeting you in, in person. And I, I've so enjoyed talking to you tonight. Thank you so much. Me too, Karen, and thank you for having me. And thank all of your listeners for uh, listening in. Thank you all. All right. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Well, I'm sure you enjoyed that as much as I did, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, more with Mary. Um, Well, we're going to take just a a really quick, quick break right now, and uh, we're going to come back, and I'm going to share that ISIS information with you and some other little things, so don't go away. Time to awaken. I want to thank Joe Carson for her Dancing with Gaia commercial uh, that I'm about to play which uh, helps uh, defray the costs of airtime a little bit. Uh, Listener support is also greatly appreciated Uh, and you know there's so many of you if a number of you just sent a little it really adds up to a lot. I feel like I sound like PBS but uh, uh, it would be great to have uh, the rest of the year's airtime paid for in advance so uh, we don't have to worry about it every month and if you'd like to help with that please go to my webpage, KarenTate.com and uh, once you get there go to the Goddess Store page and then go all the way down to the bottom and the very last button on the page will allow you to make a donation of any amount Uh, thank you so very much and uh, here's a word from Joe Carson
1: the psychic state of the collective unconscious which is that consciousness of the planet what's called the chronic mind the mind of the earth Our ancestors understood that the animal and divine were all connected, they were together. that there wasn't a separation, and that's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want Sex is sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex.
0: Well, that uh, excerpt was from uh, the documentary Dancing with Gaia. And uh, you can find uh, more information about the documentary that comes with a mini-book. Forty-five page mini book uh, at DancingWithDia.com, uh, and that's by Joe Carson. And uh, that book is uh, not just about sacred sexuality, but it's also about uh, connecting with nature. Uh, it's it's about learning how to tune into that energy. You know, we were talking earlier about um, you know vibration and sound, and uh, you know, I think that's all part of it. You know, as we uh, as we relearn, um, you know, how to connect with um, the forces out there, and uh, Dancing with Gaia is another opportunity to, <coughs> excuse me, enhance our skills, and um, um, I, I do want to uh, mention Jo Carson of Dancing with Gaia, because she emailed in uh, last week, <coughs> excuse me, have a little cough, Um she emailed in last week. She was listening to the interview with Jean Shinoda Bolin when we were talking about essential statues uh, that might indeed embody the essence of goddess. And um, here's what Joe said. She sent me this little note. She said, excellent, excellent show with uh, Jean uh, S. Bolin. Uh, I wanted to tell you about my photos of Sekhmet. Uh, that she took in the London Museum had unexpected halos in the prints. Uh, We were talking about orbs and halos and that sort of thing. Uh, So thank you, Joe. Thank you for uh, sending those comments uh, because we were speculating, you know, what exactly are we seeing? Um, You know, we don't know for sure. We maybe think we know, uh, or maybe some people out there are certain they know. Um, But... I don't have that certainty, but I love the mystery, don't you? Um, I always wonder about those halos and orbs. And, you know, there's this incredible place in Malibu, California, called Olander. It's owned by Lee and um, Carla McCluskey, and we visit there a few times a year. To me, it's truly a Sophia temple. Uh, It's maybe even a portal, if you will. Whenever we take any photos there, the images are just filled with these kinds of orbs and halos. So if any listeners uh, have ideas for an expert that might actually address that, I would love to know. And, you know, um, I always ask for feedback from you, my dear listeners, uh, who are truly the gas in my tank, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, uh, your appreciation and the wisdom uh, that I learn and share from my awesome guests. Uh, is what keeps me going so you know um there was this other email i got and i call it an out of the norm email i actually debated if i talk about it but i thought you know maybe this is an opportunity for a teaching moment so you know you might be very surprised to learn that in the eight or nine years i've been doing the show i've honestly collected folders full of emails And 99.9% of them are overwhelmingly awesome and positive. Listeners are appreciative. They suggest guests, show ideas. Some send in donations to help keep the show on the air. I've really learned uh, what a a lifeline this show is for so many guests who depend on it to get their goddess fixed. Maybe it's their lifeline of hope so that they know everyone out there isn't filled with hate and fear, that times are changing and that paradigm shift is coming well Nine out of ten times, people aren't anonymous either when they write. So as you might imagine, getting an anonymous email raises red flags. You wonder what the intent is. You know, what's the motivation? You know, is it is it good? Is it bad? And, you know, we all know people might be more inclined to say things they might not normally say when they know they can hide and they don't have to reveal their identity. So I opened this anonymous email from someone at hushmail.com. That might have been a tip-off. I don't know. And it was what might be described as, okay, um, have you ever heard of a shit sandwich? Do you know what those are? Something kind of nice to open the letter, something kind of nice to close the letter, but the meat the shit is really in the middle. Well, I'll paraphrase the email. The writer said her and her boyfriend had been listening to the show for more than a year, and she's always left so confused and frustrated because I constantly interrupt my guests, never let them finish the important and interesting things they have to say. She said she cared about the show and wanted me to know I was ruining it for her, and she knew my interview skills were lacking because she was a journalism student. Okay, so I thought... There are times I know I interrupt intentionally. Um, I'll I'll do it maybe to ask a question, make a correction, sometimes to punctuate a point, sometimes to steer the conversation somewhere else, which I think is my right as the host. Uh, I also know sometimes uh, I've let guests go on too long. Sometimes my guests don't let me get a word in. I'm sure I'm not perfect, but I think I've been pretty balanced overall. But you know what I care about the show and I care about listener feedback. If I was blind to a problem, I certainly want to know to do better and uh so that you know the best experience is uh, for all concerned, me, the guests, listeners, So I asked her, I said, well, tell me which show came to mind that was really hard for you to listen to because I'll go back and listen with fresh ears and try to hear it the way she heard it. She said, oh, I did it constantly, but my interview with Sally Roche Webner um, discussing the suffragettes and Elizabeth Cady Stanton uh, came to mind for her. Now, you know when she said that, that raised another red flag for me. I remembered those interviews with Sally vividly, and I remember having a really good time. But you know what? I decided, you know, maybe there's another side to this. I would write Sally and ask her because I felt we had a good rapport. I asked if she felt I'd stepped on her a bit too much. And I asked because I was critiquing my interview skills and, you know, wanted to do the best for the show. Well, Sally wrote back and said What I really truly believed in my heart of hearts, and here's her quote. Sally said, I spoke to folks afterwards uh, about uh, how much I enjoyed being interviewed by you. It felt like a fun conversation. If anything, I felt I took so long answering your questions that you didn't get much of a chance to ask more, unquote. So I guess my intuition maybe was right after all. I don't know. So why am I telling you this? As I said, I thought we might make this a teachable moment. Let's make lemonade out of lemons. You know, I wanted to suggest to everyone out there, and I'm saying this to myself as well, if you really support something as this person said they did the show, then take the time to write a letter that sounds like you support the show. Don't send a shit sandwich. Speak up, but be aware of the tone, the edge, the feeling your words might convey. I actually give this person the benefit of the doubt she is a supporter of the show. Maybe she just didn't take the time to do that. So much of this kind of thing is subjective anyway. You know, one person's trash is another person's treasure. But, you know, as I told her in eight years, this was the first time I was hearing this complaint, and I felt I'd have heard this coming at least once before now from guests or trusted friends who listened to the show if it was, in fact, a problem. Frustrated and confused, as she described, were never words I've read from listeners describing their experience of the show. Also, you know, if you support something, then support it. Don't take anonymous pot shots and call that support. Even if you don't like something, don't take anonymous pot shots. Write a thoughtful and fair listener Uh, You write a thoughtful and fair letter. Sign your name to it. Stand behind what you're saying with your real name. Even in this culture, that makes it easy to hide. Have integrity. You know, I asked if it occurred to her um, to write previously just mentioning support or to possibly even send in a $5 donation if the show was really important to her. And her response was, she said she was supporting the show with her critique. Hmm. I asked if before writing she considered the effort that had gone into the show for eight years, the fact that I paid for airtime year in and year out, or if it occurred to her, her email might have carried more weight, her support might have been more believable, if um, if she'd have only taken time to write before instead of the first time I hear from her. It's with a bogus complaint. And then, and then we got into politics, which made me wonder if that's what was really behind all of this. She said she was tired of hearing me talk about Republicans and was offended when I said Goddess was a Democrat. <clears throat> that she said that the left and right politicians are all the same, and she didn't want to hear me talk about it. She kind of implied I was politically naive. Well... That really pushed my buttons, as you might imagine, because she obviously hadn't read Goddess Calling to know what I meant by the statement, Goddess was a Democrat, and here this person was perpetuating, in my mind, the false equivalency because uh, between the Democrats and the Republicans. Granted, maybe she didn't know any better. I got the feeling maybe she was young, so I told her, I was well aware they're all vying for the same corporate dollars, but asked if she'd even read the Republican platform. The Democrats certainly aren't homophobic, sexist, anti-worker, anti-woman, anti-science, anti-immigrant, and they aren't trying to thwart women's access to control their own reproductive health and future. So by the end of the exchange, I couldn't help but wonder if this was really was behind it all, veiled in a personal jab, ...at my interview skills. You know, I really don't know, but I've had people refuse to read my books... ...or give me an interview because of my politics. I told the listener that I'd continue to tell my audience... ...until I have, until we have a viable Green Party or, or eco-feminist party. As I said in my book, the lesser of two evils is the Dems. The Democrats' um, values are more in alignment with Goddess. And if Goddess were a human being and could vote and she only had those two choices, I'm sure she would vote for Democrats. And I'll say that as long as I have breath in my body, and I'll say it on the show, I pay for <laughs> so what was this all about? I can't be sure. But I felt good about the the discussion with this person. I feel I kept a sense of humor. I considered her points. I stood my ground, as did she. We both expressed our sacred roar. And I suggested we just agree to disagree and stay friends. And I invited her and her boyfriend, who was certain about all of this, too, that I'd love it if they would continue listening. It was almost like you'd imagine it um, sitting with relatives over the the holiday table, dinner table, when they listen to Bill O'Reilly. You know, you have to find a way to reach common ground and respect each other as best you can. So I'm sharing this with you because we have to learn to support one another because that empowers us. And I want to say if you really support someone or something if, and want them to do well, then be careful with your words. Examine your real intention we all have to be able to take personal criticism. And I was willing to consider the complaint of the listener because as a Virgo, believe me, no one is harder than me than me. And she said she was supporting the show with her critique. Well, you know, we don't all live and thrive by critique alone. Sometimes we have to nurture. Sometimes you have to water the plant. A kind word goes a long way. Hell, that's the gas in my tank anyway. So, just be careful how we communicate with one another. Be kind, be honest, be transparent, be grateful, show appreciation. Don't be quick to be critical or mislead or say one thing if you really mean another. So my dear listener whose email is at hushmail.com, you gave me a lot to think about. I found myself being extra careful when interviewing Jean of Bowden last week, making sure I didn't interrupt her too much, just in case you might have hit a point. But I'd say next time... You take the time to write someone. Take the time to read what you write before you send it. If you really care about the person receiving your words, if you don't want them to think it's really a shit sandwich, then ask yourself how you'd feel if you got that letter and the person didn't know you and you were a stranger. Would you say those things to the person's face? Okay, that's all I got on that topic. Um, I want to talk about Isis and remembering the Isidae Navigium or Isis Navigatum because this weekend marks the time of the Isis Navigatum or Festival of Isis in the Ancient World. So, in honor of She of 10,000 Names and her ritual in Egypt, Greece, and Rome, and right here on the California coast, I share with you the following. Um, it was my honor and privilege to present to the American Academy of Religion's Western Region the history of the Isidae Navigium on the 10th anniversary of the Iseum of Isis Navigatum and the Isis Ancient Culture Society, reviving this ancient ritual of Isis in contemporary culture each year for a decade. We believe uh, that when our group. Uh, celebrated the festival of ISIS and began to be celebrated on the beaches of Los Angeles in 1998, the founders and volunteers made history, and I was one of those folks. It was probably the first time the festival was recreated in such grandeur to celebrate the worship of ISIS in modern times. The annual festival of the launching of the ships, also called the ISIS Navigatum, uh, ISIS Navigium, or Ploifesia, was usually held the first weekend in March by devotees of ISIS in the ancient world. You may recall in the Golden Ass, also known as the Metamorphosis, one of the great works of literature, the character Apuleius received salvation and hope from Isis during that Navigatum festival, and he was transformed from an ass back into a man. Our modern ritual uh, was held just before the neo-pagan spring equinox celebrations. Thus, likewise for contemporary devotees, it was a time when the light and the spring dew is upon us, bringing hope and promise for the coming year. Today and in an ancient times, the Isis celebration, which included dancing, feasting, processions, focused on seeking the goddess's blessing for ships, sailors, and travelers, as well as for successful journeys. Practitioners of Egyptian mysteries who were well-versed in recognizing cosmic meaning in mundane symbols also assumed multiple layers of meaning for ritual action and would have understood that the sea voyages being blessed during this ritual of Egypt and Roman antiquity were synonymous with the individual's voyage through life. When we recreated this ancient modern ritual today, we focused closely on this concept in adapting ancient practices to modern sensibilities. We borrowed heavily from the material culture and symbolism of this period and the history and retained many of the actual elements of the original ritual as possible. But before comparing the 2nd century rituals with those of the 20th and 21st century, let us examine just why Isis deserved such devotion then and now. According to the 2nd century CE writer Aristides, Isis may herself be holy wisdom, the creatrix of the material world, when he refers to wisdom as, quote, the mediatrix between Serapis and men, unquote. In the Nag Hammadi scriptures, Isis is Sophia, and we hear her beseeching her children not to forget her in the Gnostic text called Thunder Perfect Mind. Isis or Osset, a descendant of the creator gods of Egypt, has always been looked upon as a beneficent mother and savior goddess. It was she who bestowed sovereignty upon the pharaohs, giving the god kings the right to rule their kingdoms. Her devotion transcended class and culture. Her worship spread from the shores of Egypt through the Mediterranean into Ireland, England, Gaul, Anatolia, the Middle East, and along the Silk Road into Russia. She was a healer, a wife, a lover, a mother, and not just to her son Horace, but to her devoted. She resurrected the dead and provided her milk of abundance." One of her most important attributes was her accessibility. By her myths, not only was she powerful, savvy, and a loving protectress, but equally important, the people felt she could understand their pain. The people knew her as a goddess who had experienced the sorrow of loss, betrayal, and strife. They believed she could understand and alleviate their sorrow if they performed the right rituals and curried her favor. They, too, might have some control over the forces of chaos, that threaten their lives. She could provide light, truth, salvation, and security. And according to R.E. Witt, author of Isis and the Ancient World, quote, If Western civilization could have somehow developed on a matriarchal basis, Isis might have been too stubborn a mistress to dethrone. She became an enormous universal power in the post-Alexandrian world, a foe to Jesus and his apostles as they preached Christianity because she was all things to men. Dare I say, unquote, dare I say, an entire conference might be devoted to her and her worship across time, continents, and cultures, similar to the 1997 exhibit compiled at the Palazzo Reale in conjunction with the Department of Culture of Milan, entitled Iside: The Myth, The Mystery, The Magic. This ISA Day exhibit was comprised of thousands of artifacts from across the globe, representative of her earliest devotion forward to the 17th century when opera playbills and 19th century magic shows of Houdini honored Isis, the Mystery of Magic, further showing how Isis has lived on in popular culture. Contemporary Isian practitioners of the Iside Navigium, equally enamored with Isis, invoked her at each corner, above and below, with the words, Isis is all things, and all things are Isis. To them, she is considered the oldest of the old, her aspects and epithets dating back to Inanna and Ishtar, and her essence a primary ingredient in the primordial stew of prehistory. No matter their ancestry, Isis calls to women and men today for all the same reasons she was beloved in ancient times. She hears, understands, and provides. Isis transcends time and culture. All goddesses are embodied in Isis as her own archaeology professes. The all-powerful, all-knowing Isis could provide her devotees with a fuller, more abundant and satisfying life. She is the great mother who suckles all of humanity at her breast, and the Iside Navigium, seen to have so much overlap with neo spring equinox, was the perfect ritual or common ground to bring together practitioners of all traditions under one umbrella to worship their mother goddess. But let us delay no longer in telling of the ritual itself. So sit back, close your eyes if you will, allow yourself to be transported back. Let us make way for the procession, as was shouted in ancient and recent times, to announce the beginning of the sacred spectacle. At the head of the Greco Roman procession were magistrates, gladiators, philosophers, men wearing dresses, wigs, and gilt. Sandals. Exotic animals such as she bears, monkeys, and donkeys walked alongside their handlers. Next came women in shining white dresses, garlanded in with spring blossoms, who tossed flowers along the route. They carried polished mirrors and combs, which they applied to their hair of their divine queen. Others perfumed the path with scented oils, throngs of men and women carried all manner of illumination, torches, lamps, and wax tapers. There were singers and musicians playing flutes, then in line came the initiates dressed in their white linen robes. The women were adorned in Gora's veils while the men sported shaved or tonsured heads. The tinkling of their sistra, the sacred rattles of Isis could be heard." Next came the priest holding representation of the deities of Isis and Serapis and miniature altars. Another lifted up emblems of justice. Still another held the golden pitcher from which droplets of milk trickled onto the path. The last priest carries the Venus mystica, a branched winnowy fan of gold. Deities walked in the procession spectators could see Anubis with half his face black and half gold and Isis in her bovine aspect representing Hathor or Eo. During some Navigatums people stopped at halts or pauses or stations along the way, reminiscent of the stations of the cross where hymns were sung to the goddess. Lucius Apollius from the Metamorphosis made his way forward to nibble upon roses so that he might be transformed once again into a man. Transfiguration over, we focus on the ship of Isis near the seashore. The white sails are emblazed with prayers for Isis for successful conduct of the season's navigation. The high priest held a lighted torch, an egg, and some sulfur with which he symbolically cleansed the vessel before uttering more prayers to dedicate the ship laden with with offerings to Isis. Upon the waves, libations were made and milk was poured. Soon, cables cast off, the ship slipped down into the water and glided out to sea with no crew to guide her as she disappeared toward the horizon. State prayers were said and concluded with the formula dismissal. The ship has been let go. Glad tidings had were had all around the people now returned to their homes but not before gathering up garlands and greenery left behind from the ritual and kissing the feet of the silver statue of isis which had been set upon the temple steps isis as a maritime deity was depicted on coins in various form forms with sistrum and sacred vessel in her hand aboard a boat holding its sails and in the palanquin which parades her image As late as the latter half of the 4th century, Rome's mints provided various depictions of Isis on coins as protectress of harbors, patroness of navigation, inventor of the sails, all declaring open war on Christianity. A vota Publica coin can still be seen depicting Constantine on one side, with Isis looking forward from her ship on the other. The people were hardly giving up on the goddess, who literally and spiritually provided them their daily bread. Now, flash forward to the 20th century Navigatum. It took three months of intense preparation to plan the ploephysia and recreate clothing, decorations, and accoutrements reflective of the material culture of the Egyptian and Roman a Greco-Roman Isis ritual, bringing alive this time and place so many of us found so provocative and so full of power, mystery, and magic. Labors of love and devotion, ritual garb, and sacred tools such as sistra and manat collars were developed. Both items from antiquity enabled the clergy who wears them to embody the goddess, bestow blessings, and ward off evil craft persons devise ways to make copper ox and and uh, and scepters From four-inch tall line drawings and books of Wallace Budge, images of deities were transferred onto large surfaces by artists, painters, and carpenters to recreate life-size mobile temple walls. Then finally, on the first weekend in March, under the rays of a powerful noontime sun, an auspicious time for Egyptian magical work, the ritual would finally be unveiled to the public on Point Doom State Beach in Malibu, California. What follows is a composite retelling of several rituals held on the Pacific Coast shores over ten years, combining not just ancient and modern ritual practice, but revitalizing that connection between devotees of the great mother goddess, then and now, using the red cord of Isis as a linchpin. A herald shouts, Let the procession begin! facilitators and spectators dressed in their most elaborate and festive ritual attire begin chanting, and attendees follow suit. People are returning to the ancient ways. Clergy who embody the Egyptian deities with whom they felt the most reverence and connection came first. Representatives of Isis, Anubis, and Bast, followed by priests and priestesses dressed in white carrying Sistra. People wearing masks. Drummers, participants carrying golden fans, mirrors, candles, depictions of Hathor as the golden cow, golden pitchers of milk for the blessing of the ships, and statues of Isis and Anubis. Along the path was a doubloon tosser throwing into the crowd plastic gold and silver coins from the New Orleans Mardi Gras carnival crews of Isis, Cleopatra, and Toth, connecting modern festivals with those of the ancient Egyptians. Participants scurried to pick up the doubloons Hailing down upon them Excited to have these mementos to take home In remembrance of the sacred and glorious day And yes, there were the altars and the animals Snakes, dogs, birds Facilitators felt goddess herself bless the rite By sending her creatures of the sea to attend <coughs> Excuse me No Navigatum held on the beach was ever held without the presence of either a dolphin, a sea lion, or a pod of whales in attendance, and participants felt inspired to set up their own impromptu altars of devotion along the ritual path. Serpentining along the beach, chanting and drumming, the group would stop at several halts where the clergy of these temples of various deities would impart either spiritual guidance or sacred amulets upon those in procession. After honoring Isis with songs and praise, the procession would move on with the ultimate destination, her temple, then the launching of the Isis boats. At the Isis Temple, the doors would be symbolically opened, and therein would be meditations and drama with prayers from yesteryear and today read from scrolls. Offerings of songs and dance, along with flowers, food, and drink, would be made into She of 10,000 Names, would be made to She of 10,000 Names. With rites within the cella or Holy of Holies complete, bearers of the golden and veiled palaquin of Isis would lift up her statue and carry her to the beach to oversee the launching of her ship and the climax of the ritual. At the water's edge, after libations with milk, beer, and honey, Isis might bestow her blessings on those gathered for their abundance in the coming year, while her boat would be launched." As one might imagine, the element of the navigatum post This element of the Navigatum posed quite a challenge, for certainly we had no actual wooden ship laden with offerings that might be launched on the shores of Malibu Beach, but the challenge was met and succeeded with creativity and flair. In fact, it became an integral and much appreciated part of the ritual over the years. The solution to this dilemma came to the founder of the ritual in the same way as much of the inspiration for this entire rite, In a Dream, To launch the boat of Isis, contemporary clergy handed each participant an ecologically friendly boat made of colored ice, which they were to launch into the Pacific Ocean, imbued with their breath of intention for the coming year. That was their prayer. Next, now having cast their vessel of desire upon the waves, the group still chanting and drumming, proceeded to a life-size image of Isis mounted on the beach to make their final offerings of incense and rose petals, and thanks to their mother goddess for hearing their prayers. The ritual was concluded with the song, We are an old people. We are a new people. We are the same people, stronger than before. Wow. You know... um, Scholar R.E. Witt cited Herodotus, who states the first people to initiate festivals, processions, and religious presentations were the Egyptians, from whom the Greeks received their knowledge. Ancient writers detailed the Isis Navigatum already being held during the reign of Tutankhamun during the 18th dynasty in Egypt and the Greco-Roman world by the 1st century B.C., continuing on until possibly the 5th century C.E., There's evidence the Navigatum was celebrated in Paris, in Turkey, along the shores of the Black Sea, and in Germany during the Middle Ages. Today, there are vestiges of the ritual being performed during Christian rituals, such as the Blessing of the Fleet and the Feast of St. Agnes in Sicily. Other close associations are the Festival of Lights or the Epiphany of the Christians and Coptics, and Muslims on the second day of the Eid al-Ada feast embark on small boats and take to the waters, hearkening back to the Isis Navigatum. We cannot forget cultural celebrations such as Carnival and Mardi Gras, who owe so much to the sacred spectacles that was the Isis Navigatum honoring Isis. And finally, Isis passes her baton to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who becomes Stella Maris, the new watcher of the waters, as people attempt to navigate the treacherous waters of their life's journey. Well, if you want a copy of this uh, or you want to see some of the pictures, um, you can go to my Facebook page. Uh, Right now it should be near the top. There uh, is this article. Uh, that I presented to the American Academy of Religion. There's also a slideshow of 20 photos that shows you pictures of the ritual uh, that we did in contemporary times, and uh, also uh, pictures of, you know, from ancient times as well. Uh, the Isis Navigatum. Um, it was it was my honor and privilege to organize these for 10 years. Uh, in in Malibu and uh, do these wonderful Isis rituals uh, every March, and we always managed to have clear weather. It could be raining and pouring, uh, but when we started the ritual, the skies would be bright and clear, and we would have a window of opportunity for everybody to worship their goddess. And we really did believe and feel she was there with us, embracing us in her golden wings. Yes, Isis is all things, and all things are Isis. I hope you enjoyed that. So, um, my dear listeners, uh, that is... um, about all for this evening I just want to remind you if you're seriously thinking about the trip uh, to to uh, Turkey with us we really need to know uh, from you soon um, certainly no later than April 1st uh, also please hit the follow button you see on my blog talk home page uh, that will make you a member of the voices of the sacred feminine family and you won't miss notice of the great guests coming on each week uh, please mark your calendar for next week, next Saturday, the 14th, if you're in the uh, Venice Beach area. We are going to be having a uh, the first Joseph Campbell Roundtable at the Venice Library, and there's going to be a talk on Artemis by Dr. Rietfeld, uh, followed by a sistrum-making class. Yes, the sistrum was the ancient uh, sacred tool of the priestesses of Isis, Hathor, and Bast, and those were, uh, sacred tools, uh, of Isis, Hathor and Bast. And then, uh, please again mark your calendar for March 28th because we are going to have an outstanding mini-talk and reproduction in grand style of an Artemis ritual, uh, celebrating Dr. Reedfield's. Uh, new book at the goddess temple of orange county on march 28th and uh, i want to thank um Ava and the priestesses and votaries of the Goddess Temple for being a sponsor of this event. Uh, As it turns out, the temple um, is starting their own um, Joseph Campbell Roundtable series there. They're also friends of the American Theosophical Society. And this uh, talk on Artemis and this ritual of Artemis on the 28th will serve to be the first talk uh, for the roundtables and the Theosophical Society in a series. And uh, you really do want to visit the Goddess Temple there in Irvine, Uh, even if you have to travel there. It is a very, very special place, and they, too, need your support. You know, just as you might become a member of Greenpeace or Emily's List or something like that, uh, you know, this is one of the few Goddess Temples on the face of the earth, and they do need your support, too, You know, have the honor of being able to call yourself a member of the Goddess Temple of Orange County. And you know what? It only costs you $25 a year. So please go and visit, and uh, this upcoming ritual is a perfect excuse, if you will. Yes, indeed, Uh, it is a uh, perfect excuse. So... Uh, with that all said, I think that takes care of the business uh, of tonight's show. Um, I would, uh, I'll, I will close with uh, a quote of my husband, actually, I'd like to share with you. Uh, Roy Tate, my beloved of 30 years, said, Goddess is not a religion, it is a way of life. You don't have to go out and kill someone for her. You should just go out and love someone for her, and especially yourself. So thank you, Roy, for those beautiful words. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Um, Thank you, Joe Carson, for your comments. And um, again, I even send thanks out uh, to my dear friend and her boyfriend uh, that I spoke about earlier uh, who sent me the email. I really do thank you for... um, you know, sending in that out-of-the-norm email. Uh, I appreciate your listening. Um, I heard you, and um, I hope you will continue to listen to the show, and I hope you weren't offended by me turning your email into uh, a teaching moment. Um, that all said, I think uh, in honor of ISIS, I am looking here and at my music, and if I can put my hands on it quickly I think we'll close uh, with some music uh, for Isis Uh, it'll just take a second here yes here we go it's coming up Uh, yeah here we go this is by Diva Haley and this is from her Sacred Alchemy album and it's called Isis so uh, please enjoy All hail, Isis. Cut through the veils now. How many more lifetimes
1: will you donate to the illusion of the ego? Are you ready to directly face the truth of your essential self?
0: It is time to set yourself free.